podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Today on the 1012 Podcast, Oklahoma State softball head coach Kenny Gajewski joins the show to discuss the Cowgirls, the postseason, the transfer portal, and a whole heck of a lot more. Matt Brown at the Extra Points newsletter discusses his conversation with Big 12 Chief Marketing Officer Tyrell Kirkham. Our friend JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson, recaps the WNBA draft and the Big 12 players selected in it, plus Colorado, Texas Tech softball, and much more. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show for the 1012 Network and partners with SportsDream, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us this week. A fantastic episode we have for you this week. One of the best, hands down, period, unbiased, Cannot be more excited about this lineup of guests. Kenny Gajewski, Matt Brown, and our great friend JSJ. All here today. Fantastic collection of interviews. We're going to get to all of them here in just a bit. I want to start this episode with this. We don't talk about realignment a lot on the show. We've talked about it a bit the last couple episodes, and we're going to talk about it a bit today. But specifically, look, I have seen the same Colorado stuff that you have. And I stand by my opinion that I do not believe that any current Pac-10 school will join the Big 12 this go-around. I think after this next Pac-10 deal comes to an end, I think it's very possible. I think it's very likely. But for now, I will believe it when one of those teams announces they are joining the Big 12. Nothing has changed to make me believe that one of those teams is leaving. However... The smoke we're seeing about Colorado is the most smoke I have legitimately seen about a specific team so far. Yes, they've called a Colorado board meeting for Monday. Rick George, the athletic director of Colorado, quote tweeting one of the most aggressive scattershot Big 12 rumor Twitter accounts possible, saying there's absolutely no truth to the rumor that the board is going to vote to leave the Pac-12 on Monday which is hilarious because only in 2023 would you actually see a sitting athletic director quote tweet a rumor monger about the Pac-12 school leaving for the Big 12. Here we are. There is smoke there, but I'll believe it when I see it. I stand by it. I'll stick with it. It's just how I feel. I got a warning, though, for fans. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves mentally and emotionally. Players are about to leave your football team. The spring transfer window for college football opens this Saturday, April 15th, and will remain open until April 30th. During that time, undergraduate transfers can enter the transfer portal. Now, they can find a new team and a new home after the portal window has closed, but they cannot hop into the portal after April 30th. So, post-spring football, we're pretty used to seeing players enter the portal at that time. Either they're not going to have the opportunity they believed that they would, after the spring, their coach has said, hey, we've got too many players. We need to fill an offensive line role. So maybe out of the portal. So maybe you extra defensive lineman who's not going to see the field. Maybe you should hop in. Maybe they have a changing situation with family. Maybe they get an NIL opportunity. 
There's lots of reasons that a player could enter the transfer portal. Just prepare yourselves before you get pissed off about some player leaving. And look, I understand fan is short for fanatic. I would never tell you to not care about your team. Just prepare yourselves for guys entering. Remember the hypocrisy of getting pissed off at a guy you don't want to leave for leaving, but not caring as much about a guy you don't care about. And also, players are going to enter the transfer portal and then come to your school as well. So it's all going to be okay. You might lose somebody who's going to be an impact player. You might add someone who's going to be an impact player. Just know that the window opens this weekend. Prepare yourselves mentally and emotionally for a player entering the portal from your team. It's probably going to happen. Speaking of transfers, I love interconference transfers. I love it. I love the drama that comes from it. If we're going to have to exist in this transfer portal universe, if that's just what the world is, then I'm going to enjoy as much of it as possible. And the idea of players staying in conference, transferring between teams, and then facing their old opponent on the court or on the field is just the kind of drama that I love. I love it. Like, it's fun in the pros, but it's so much different in college. The two big ones we should talk about, LJ Cryer announcing that he is transferring to Houston, going from Baylor to Houston. Houston, of course, will be a member of the Big 12 next season, and thus we should see some Baylor-Houston on the hardwood, and that should be a fun one. On the women's side, Lexi Keys transferring from Oklahoma State, going to Oklahoma. I saw the comments on the OSU message board. Back in my day, we would never do something like this. We were to a rival? Like, folks, it's fine. And I love it. I love the drama. Gimme, 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 gimme. Just just straight. Hook it right into my veins and pump it in. Can not wait. Speaking of Oklahoma, a little softball talk for you. Obviously, we'll have Coach Gajewski here in a few minutes. Uh, just prepare yourselves for the Oklahoma Sooner 3 Pete. Everyone else is playing for second place. Everybody else is playing to face Oklahoma in the final three games of the season and lose, but finish in second place to Oklahoma, who will be the national champions for the third year in a row. Shout out to Chris Plank, our good friend for this one. Sooner pitching is in the midst of a 30 and two third inning scoreless streak during that stretch. OU pitchers have allowed just 15 combined hits while striking out 42 and walking five. My God, that's ridiculous. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Seth Oliveris on Twitter. As of April 20th, the time of recording this, OU softball leads the nation in scoring, ERA, batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, fielding percentage, doubles per game, win percentage, ranked wins, consecutive wins, run rules, and shutouts. They also have 70 home runs, which leads the Big 12. They passed Texas Tech in that mark folks it's coming it is inevitable it's just another thing to prepare yourselves for OU is going to three-peat one team we will not see in the postseason in my opinion is Texas Tech which I hate because Texas Tech looks like a team in year one of Craig Snyder that is worthy of playing in regionals and at worst scaring the crap out of a host team there is talent on this roster they hit the ball especially well freshman Kaylee Wyckoff has been tremendous for Texas Tech, and I hope she sticks around. Mackenzie Herzog has as well. This is a Texas Tech team that went to Norman and did not get run ruled, and that is way more impressive than it sounds, and had two late opportunities to beat Texas. Couldn't pull it off. It's okay. Texas is dang good. This is a good Texas Tech squad, but they're not going to get a postseason invite, barring winning the Big 12 tournament, and frankly, they don't deserve to. It's the schedule. It's awful. 
The schedule's so bad, even Chris Beard and Mark Adams wouldn't play it. I don't know if this is a Texas Tech thing. I don't know if this was a Craig Snyder thing. I don't know if this was just a year one and you had to get what you could on the schedule thing. I don't know. But this schedule was atrocious and insulting. Texas Tech is 28 and 15. Sounds good. That's a good record. It's a team that should probably play in the postseason with a record like that. There's two things you've got to know. One, to be an at-large team, you've got to be on the right side of 50 in the RPI. Texas Tech is currently 68. Now, they've been ticking up, and they've got opportunities to continue to increase their standing in the RPI. They've got three games against Baylor this weekend, what I think is the best weekend series in the current and future Big 12. Huge one in Lubbock. Texas Tech's going to have three games to end the regular season for them because they don't play the last weekend of the regular season at home against Oklahoma State, who's currently number three in the RPI. That's six games against quad one opponents. Quad one is one through 25 in the RPI. So they have opportunity to continue to improve their standing in the RPI. But it does also another thing that matters is when this election committee looks at team A versus team B, they're going to look at things like quad one wins, quad two wins. Those things matter. Of Texas Tech's 28 victories this season, 24 have come against quad four opponents. That's teams 101st to the 306th in the RPI. Now, I have said I I don't like the quad four takes up so much of the 306 teams in Division I softball, but 11 of those quad four games, 11 of those 24 have come against teams sub 200 in the RPI. By the way, Texas Tech has five losses to quad four teams. They have no quad one wins, three quad two, and one quad three. They've played six games against quad one opponents. That's three games against Texas and three games against Oklahoma. They didn't even schedule one in the non-conference. Do better next year, please. For the love of all things holy, Texas Tech, do better. Do yourself a favor and give yourself a real schedule. Give yourself a real opportunity to make it to the postseason. Because again, I think this team is only going to be better next year. And I don't want to be sitting here having the same conversation saying this team's good enough to, to go to a postseason. It's good enough to compete. It's good enough to maybe upset a team in original. But alas, they're not going to be there because 24 of their 32 wins are quad four or worse. I don't know if this is a Texas Tech problem again. Harkens back to men's basketball, women's basketball, but do better. Please, Tech. Please do better. One way Texas Tech fans can do better is to make sure that you are paying attention to home field apparel this Saturday because at 9 a.m. God's time, home field apparel is releasing a nine-piece collection for Texas Tech to update the collection that's really good already that they already have. That goes along with a nine-piece collection for TCU and a 10-piece collection for Baylor. And folks, let me just tell you, this stuff is awesome. You've seen some sneak peeks on Twitter and Instagram, and they're real good. It just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. So remember this. Use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for 15% off your first purchase. It's going to wreck your wallets, folks. It's going to. You're going to want to buy a bunch. You're going to want to buy it all, whether you're a TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech fan. And don't forget, everyone, They've got a Houston hat. They've got a Kansas State hat. There's a Kansas State bomber jacket. They just keep putting out cool stuff that you want to add to your closet. I'm rocking one of my home field apparel shirts right now. You can guess it's the Pistol Patty shirt. Why? Because it's freaking awesome, and it makes me happy on the inside and out. Also, Cowgirl softball plays, so of course I put it on. 
Homefieldapparel.com, promo code NETWORK12, 15% off your first purchase. Be rocking the most comfortable Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, or every other Big 12 school that they have vintage college sports apparel this year. Three great guests, a lot to get to. Without further ado, let's get to it. He's built one of the best softball programs in the country, and as an Oklahoma State fan, I'm, I'm even more excited about this opportunity. Uh, very excited to have joining us here on the 10 Podcast, Coach Kenny Gajewski of the Oklahoma State Softball Program. Coach, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me and looking forward to, to spending a little time. Uh, this one, I'm going to go ahead and just check this one off the bucket list of uh, Oklahoma State coaches that I've uh, had the opportunity or not yet uh, to talk to, uh, right up there with uh, with Coach Boynton, who was great as uh, as well. Uh, all right, let's just let's start out of the gate with with this. Um, like after three straight trips to the College World Series, I'm sorry, the Women's College World Series, which I appreciate now that there is some discernment between the men's and women's, <laughs> um, you have really established some incredibly high expectations for this program from the outside looking in, from fans, from from college softball fans, from those just kind of uh, paying attention. Uh, but I mean, inside the program, obviously you've had uh, high expectations and hopes from this program from day one. When do you feel like the switch flipped internally? From we have really high hopes for what this can be to we now expect inside this program to be at this level that you're at now. I, I think that's a really good question, and I I feel like I I have a pretty good answer to that. Um, you know, we obviously I came in here um, with high expectations. Um, those expectations were because of Sandy F- 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 uh, Fisher, who is our. Um, best softball coach that, that ever coached here, made one of the best ever to coach. Um, so she laid this foundation. We just needed a little bit of um, TLC. We needed to do some things uh, differently than the way they had been done since she had left here. Um, unfortunately, um, I don't feel that people before me respected the tradition um, and everything that Coach Fisher and her her uh, women that she coached built. And um, the tide really flipped with Sam Shaw. Uh, when Sam Shaw said yes to OSU in the summer of uh, 18, um, this program that was already on a pretty good trajectory, that trajectory changed even more and it, and it went a little steeper. And um we jumped on Sam Shaw's back, not just her back, but like she was, I think you could ask all of our kids. She was the leader. I mean, she was the one that they looked to, they turned to, came through with big hits, big pitching performances. Um, but beating Florida State the year after they won the national title in Tallahassee behind Sam Shaw um, was one of, uh, was, was the, was the turning point. And um, it propelled us into our first trip to OKC um, and ever since. And and I can go on and on and on about a list of kids that have joined this program as well. But Sam Shaw saying yes to OSU, taking a chance on us um, was the turning point. That, that leads to a question I had already. I mean, obviously, you know, it's 
it's it's proven you can attract talent to Oklahoma State and to Stillwater. And going to three straight trips to Oklahoma City obviously helps that. But like as you mentioned, you've been attracting talent of the caliber of Sam Shaw for a few years now. You have Sam, Carrie Eberly, Allison Fevery, uh now you have like Lexi Kilfoy and Rachel Becker. I mean, what is it do you think about Oklahoma State and about this program that you've built that has made you so attractive to these, I mean, really top notch transfers and top notch players in the in, in the sport? Yeah, I, I don't I don't particularly have a perfect answer. Um, I, I think what I can tell you is that Stillwater is a unique place. And if you've been here, you know what I mean. You have to come here to really, truly appreciate the greatness of this town, um, the greatness of the university, the history, the the programs here that are just some of the best of all time in their sports. Um it's a unique place. It doesn't, we're not a big city. We don't have a fancy mall. We don't have um, all the great restaurants and all this stuff, but we do have is the best people. Um, we have great facilities. We have great people more, more importantly above the facilities. We have great people inside them. Um, our, our, our former AD Mike Holder always talks about like the two most important assets that a athletic department has number one is the student athlete number two is the coaches and um and and it's important to keep them both um when you have the right people and so um you know i just i i think so what happens is these kids go to different schools because of the name on the chest period blue blood school name on the chest conference they get in there and they're, they're like, man, this is not what I was told. This is not what I was promised. Um, and then they decide they want to make a move. And I'm hopeful that they remember old coach G over here who told them all the, this stuff in the first place. Um, but, um, but they're seeing our success. They're seeing how much fun that we have here. Um, look, there's a lot of ways to win. Um, we do ours way different than a lot of other schools. Um, but I can tell you this, our kids have fun and um, they respect each other. Um, the The relationships are real. These kids see that. We now have proof in the pudding um, that I can go to and say, hey, I, instead of you hearing this from me, why don't you reach out to Sam Shell? Why don't you reach out to so-and-so and Get what they have to say because they're going to be honest. Like in in the bottom, the in in the in the end, these student athletes they will be honest. They will tell re recruits what they like and what they don't like. And so I would rather them hear that up front, know it, and go. You know what? I'll take it. And so um, I think that's why we've had the success of some of these transfers. We've also had some really good freshmen. Um, and there, and you can see on this current team, we're playing about five freshmen pretty routinely. Um, and it's really cool to see. Uh, there's so much there I want to address. Uh, first off the, the people you talk about, look, the energy in this team is palpable. It has been for, for quite a while. I mean, you feel it in the fan base as well. I mean, that is that excitement, especially on game day, that whole field just is just, you can feel the energy coming off of it, even if you're just watching on TV. Um, I want to ask this. You said, you know, we hear all the time about coaches make promises, coaches say things in recruiting to get them on campus. And then, and, you know, it's not always the same thing. I'm curious from you, what what do you feel like are, are the promises that recruits hear from Oklahoma State that you guys deliver on? 
Well, one of the things we talk about is under promise and over deliver. Um, so that's a, a, a term I've used since since day one. I used it with Sydney Pennington um, on about June 16th, 2015, when I got this job. Um, and I was sitting here in my office with her and her parents, and I was re-recruiting her because she had opened her commitment back up once they had um, made a coaching change here. And I told them, hey, I'm not going to make you a bunch of pro promises. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to play shortstop. I'm not going to promise you that. I will promise you that I'll love you to death. Like, I will love you. Um, I will coach you. Um, I will help you in any way. And if you say yes to us, you have me forever. Um, I will I will do anything. As long as you, as long as you um, are part of the cowgirl way, um, I, I've got you. I mean, you're mine and I'm yours forever. And um, and so, you know, that's one of the things we talk about. I tell them you'll get better. You'll have that opportunity um, every day to get better. You'll have the opportunity every day to start. Your scholarship matters nothing to me. It was the value at the time that we put on you. And it doesn't mean that we don't think because you're on 25% versus 75 that we don't think um, that you're this, this, and this, um, that's the value of your position. Um, and, and that's what it is. But when you walk through our door each day, I look at you as part of our team. And, um, and I look at you as, Hey, she has to earn what she gets every single year. If you don't like your role, change it. Like that's under your control. And so, um, there's not a bunch of promises here. I can promise you that you'll have fun if you choose to have fun. Um, I can promise you that softball here won't dominate your whole life. I can promise you that. And you can talk to any of our kids. These kids have a life outside of here and we encourage that. Um, uh, I know that if they're happy off our field on the field, they usually play pretty dang well. We've talked about the transfers who come in. You've gotten some big names, but I mean, if you look through this roster and if you go back to this roster from the moment you took over, like you see a lot of Oklahoma, 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 Oklahoma. You get a lot of kids from within the state who come in here and, and develop into, I mean, stars. Do, how much of that is credit to the program that you have and how much of that is credit to there's just really good softball players in the state? Yeah, um, I, I have very little to do with Rachel Becker hitting 500 like she hit 480 <laughs> last year okay like I don't even we've hardly even messed around with her I think we've got her better in the infield without a doubt she's turned into maybe one of the best second basemen if not the very best in the country um you know she's she's a shortstop who just from day one has said hey just tell me where you want me it's where where where, where I'll go and um um so I don't get too caught up in these kids like look, look the kids that come here they're elite. Um, so it's just trying to get them some incremental growth, um, some growth on the, the field, off the field. Most importantly, leadership growth. That's one of our main focuses is that you're a great teammate and that you can lead and everybody leads in a different way. Um, and, um, and it's really cool to watch all of this happen, but, um, Look, we have a really good coaching staff here. We have a tremendous amount of support here, whether 
Um, I think we may be the only school in the country that has a strength coach that is full-time softball only. Um, player development, we, we add, we, we, we've added that. Um, uh, all these GAs and managers that are running around here trying to help you. Um, you know, we've got it pretty good, good here. So um, we like to just kind of let them kind of ease their way in, um, figure out that we're here to help them. Uh, I think as coaches, we work each day to gain their trust. And once we gain that trust, these kids just seem to take off. And um, it's been really cool to see. Um, I'm very thankful that these kids choose us. More importantly, I'm very thankful that they come in here and immerse themselves into the cowgirl way and um, and just live that. And um, it's really cool to see. You mentioned your freshman class. Uh, look, it, it's hard to miss Kyra Acock as good as she's been as a true freshman for you. I mean, you, you put her right into a, a starting spot. I mean, you've got three pitchers and I think they're all absolutely incredible. I mean, look, Kelly Maxwell is here this year. Um, she's said publicly that she'll be back next year's year. Well, so I mean, you got to feel pretty good about that, but how much is, is how much does Kyra kind of feel the pressure of, I think outside the program, the view is this is Maxwell's kind of replacement coming forward. Does she feel that pressure? What What is that? How's that mindset inside the program? Yeah, I don't think any of us are trying to replace anyone, to be very honest. I think that could be a natural thought, but nobody inside here's even echoed those uh, words. Um, I would never that that that's not fair to anyone. I want Kyra to be the best version of her. She's gotten so much better here already. It is mm -hmm. crazy. This is not the same kid who walked in here day one. And she's like a sponge. Um, and uh, and when she just pitches and not try to throw 100 um, miles in an hour, she is special. Um, and she's special in her own way. And, and um, you know, Kilfoyle, the same way. She's, she's different than what she walked in here as. Um, and it's really cool to see. And, um, and so look, this freshman class is really good, but I, I like we, the only thing that they hear is just be the best of you. Uh, I don't need you to be Kylie Naomi. I don't need you to be Sydney Pennington. I don't need you to be whoever, like you be you. And that's good enough. That's why we recruited you. Um, because we thought you were really dang good. Obviously with success, you know, comes investment. We, we see this across sports. When a team starts to continue to, to improve on the field and get better, you start to see an athletic department spend. Uh, we've uh, talked with Coach Cindy Ball Malone about what UCF has been doing for their program as they've continued to see success. Uh, Oklahoma State kind of teased some some things that they want to work on in the future, including a new softball stadium. I mean, what, up to this point, what how much have you seen the athletic department, both previous AD, Coach, uh, Holt, Coach Holder, and, and, and now your new athletic director and, and the the emphasis and importance put on this softball program as it continues to build and build. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, no coach is ever satisfied on the outside, but if you kind of cut my chest open and peeled it back, I think I, I would tell you, I'm very, I'm very pleased with what we've done up to this point. Do we need a new stadium? Probably. Um, is it going to make us win, win more? Nope. Um, does it show a commitment to the outside? Yeah. I do. I think our school is committed a thousand percent to softball. Yes. Like, so you see what I mean? It's like this, 
I mean, yes. Do I want a new stadium? Yes. Do our kids want it? Of course. Um, do we need more seats? Yes. More bathrooms? Yes. Uh, more, a better indoor, a, a film room, a team room, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, we need it. But I think we've shown that we can win here. Um, and so when that time comes, we will take it. But, um, you know, I've said this uh, a bunch here since the announcement of the stadium. You know, stadiums can be a curse as well. Because I think us as coaches look at these things and go, we take this big sigh and go, we made it. We finally got this. And you take this deep breath. And while you're taking that breath, there's some young hotshot coach that's passing you. And I don't want that to happen. So if I had to take a stadium over sustainable success, I'll take the sustainable success without a doubt. Um, and um, And we'll just keep having a chip on our shoulder and um, proving everybody wrong. And, um, you know, it just is what it is. And, and um, we love what we have. We love who's inside here. And um, I don't want to change that. If you're going to put some more bricks and mortar around me or build us a new place, great. But I don't want to sacrifice the people, um, the budget, um, any of that kind of stuff for a new stadium. The, the deck on the backside of the stadium that was built by fans has continued to grow and grow and grow. And it's become one of the coolest things in softball to me just to have this this thing that fans started that the university has bought in on. Um, like, how, first off, like, how does the, the team view that? How cool is that to, to, to have back there, to have the fans so invested in this program that they'd said, we want to do this cool thing. And the school said, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, so so I'll give you a, the cliff notes. Um, they started by backing up trucks. Um, and we had trucks that, that, were, that were backed up all over that place. And um, and then the school, um, and then I think somebody might have fallen out of a truck having a little too much fun. And so they <laughs> built these little um, wooden, wooden stands that they put all the way around there. Um, and then we went through this beautification project where um, they really beautified the area be behind our field. And they said, no more trucks, no more decks. And so I went to Coach Holder and I said, this is not fair, man. Like this, we we have created this atmosphere. And he said, hey, we are, we're already working on it. We're going to build actual decks. And you guys have created this organically. Like nobody forces. These were fans that just wanted to be inside couldn't be inside, found an awesome area, made it work. So we're going to take care of them. And so we built the first two decks. Last year, we built the third deck that is the size of both of the other decks out in right center field. <laughs> um, they're sold out. Um, it's wild. Um, our, our kids love it. Uh, you see us after wins, they'll run out there and shake everyone's hand. I didn't start that. I, I mean, it's them. It's those fans the social, the outlaws, uh, they've got fan names and they've got uh, Twitter handles and Facebook pages. Um, it's about as cool as it gets. Um, and it's just a really neat experience, you know, to see, see that. So our girls uh, love it. They play along. And honestly, if I was an opposing team, instead of complaining and crying about our fans out there, I just embrace it and have fun. Like they're, they're not mean. Um, are they relentless? Yep. It's a cowgirl way. It's relentless. And, um, and so, um, they have fun, but if you'll have fun back, 
Like I've seen him invite left fielders, parents to the deck opposing teams and have a blast. Like, come on, like it's a, it's a great experience. And we kind of have a couple different things that are, that are going on inside our facility. We have the decks that it's like a different experience, right? It's more of a party. And then you have the people inside that are really there sitting down wa watching a game. So you can have whatever that you want to have, experience whatever you want to experience and just have a blast. If you can get tickets, of course. That's, yeah. That's always yeah. a tough part. Call me. I'll, 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 I'll help you. Uh, I have heard to the decks uh, affectionately referred to as the gift shop because of all the home runs to get hit out of the field and, and dropped to the fans out there, which I think is um, just <laughs> it's so good. It's great. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so the Big 12 obviously will be expanding this summer, adding four new teams, uh, three of which BYU, uh, Houston and UCF, which will be bringing softball programs to the Big 12 as well. I am. You obviously had UCF here in still or there in Stillwater uh, this uh, this this season. I mean, how do you view these additions coming into the Big Twelve and how how that's going to you know, help the Big Twelve moving forward? Oh, I think it's great. Um, obviously, it'll hurt to lose OU and Texas RPI wise. Um, you know, I I, I love those games. Um, hopefully, we'll still play them. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been told. Um, you know, we've been pretty open about, hey, we'd like to play. Um, haven't really heard anything back, so I'm not sure how that works and how that'll work. But we want to play. I think it's uh, the right thing to do for um, the state of Oklahoma and right now for softball, um, the, the game. But um, we'll see. Like, I, I think adding UCF and and BYU and Houston, we're going to get in some different markets. Um play in front of some different people, um, you know, UCF and, and uh, BYU have been in regionals a bunch. Um, so, um, you know, very see them a lot. We played Houston a bunch over my years here. I think um, it'll help them as well with their recruiting and what they can do. I think that they can build a pretty good program there uh, being in the conference. Um, they have a nice facility. So, I'm excited. I I I I love that that we're gonna have more conference games. We're not gonna have a bye week um, now because we're gonna have, you know at least the first year while OU and Texas, I guess, are still in our league. It's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing to be be be, be honest. But um, I kind of there's part of me that's like I wish they'd just leave. You know what I mean? So they could move on and we could figure out how this would work. But I'm just a softball coach, so I don't have much say. Uh, you get one season with ten teams, then you'll move to eight moving forward. I, I had not heard the the no bye week, so that's good to know. Um, as for Bedlam, like, look, this has become one of the biggest rivalries in college softball. You've got two teams that I mean, one and two, depending upon the ranking. I think it's one and three at D one softball right now. But I mean, you've got a three game series coming up at the end of the regular season, and two of those games are on ESPN and ESPN two. Like, this is becoming a a must watch series. I think it would absolutely be a disservice not just to the state of Oklahoma, but to college softball, to not see Oklahoma and Oklahoma State playing each other on, on a regular annual basis. I agree. So uh, hoping that uh, cooler heads prevail in that sense and that we continue to see that in some shape or form. Speaking to that, I mean, obviously you're going to lose Oklahoma and Texas. It's going to impact RPI. You're going to bring in a little more depth to the conference of eight teams, you know, permanently moving forward as opposed to seven. 
How is that going to affect the way that you guys schedule a non-conference? I mean, you you guys do an fantastic job. You go out to uh, to Florida every year uh, to the Clearwater Invitational, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, we've seen you know three game series against Florida State this year. You had UCF and Arizona State come to town, uh, face Missouri. You you guys schedule up clearly. I mean, taking midweek road games to to UCA and Wichita State, those are those are regional teams. Then. But how do you view the new teams coming in and the changing of the conference schedule impacting how you set up your non-conference schedule? Uh, no, I mean we're 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 going to go play an awesome non-conference schedule. Um, I want to play the best schedule in the country. Um, it's a little daunting in January because you don't really know what where you're at. You think you know, but but you don't know. Um, you know, we've we've went out and played the best schedule in the country or or right there. This year, um, we've tried to do that each year. A lot of that depends on how the teams that you play, how they perform afterwards. Um, so there's a lot that's kind of not in your hands, but we're going to go play teams. Uh, we're going to go to Clearwater every year that they'll have us. Um, we're going to stay next year. Um, after Clearwater, we're going to stay in Tampa and play South Florida and Washington and a couple other teams. Like I, I just, I want to play games and um, I want to know where our team's at. I'm not caught up in rankings. I'm not caught up in um, in, in outside opinions. I'm caught up in, I want to find out where we're deficient and what we need to do to get better to perform the first week of June. A couple more questions and I'm going to let you go, Coach. Uh, just kind of about softball in general. Obviously, um, rules changes continue to come and there's, there's now going to be the opportunity for a third uh, full-time paid coach. Uh, is that something that Oklahoma State is looking at, at investing in uh, moving forward? I, we, we've just kind of had some preliminary talks. Um, Oklahoma state's in on everything they have been. We, I say they, we, we have been. Um, so when the season's over, we'll kind of have those direct conversations, but I haven't really even focused on that at this point. Um, uh, and, and I don't really have an answer to that yet, but we'll be, we're competitive. So, um, we'll be in that mix. Um, I think it's a great rule. Um, I think it's needed. Um, it, you know, it's, it's unique in a way. Um, I think we could have kept it this, the way it was to be honest, but allowed the volunteer to recruit and do everything that another, that another coach could. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know that this is the best answer, um, uh, to, to our problems, but We'll see. It'll just, I don't think a lot of schools are going to fund that, that, that third coach, to be honest. I, I hear all, all these schools saying yes, but I think that's a lot of talk. So I have one bone to pick with college softball. And I want your opinion on this. Um, had a conversation with Eric Lopez who covers uh, UCF um, and, and host in the circle podcast. Um, when it comes to the selection committee and it comes to the RPI, they, they have their quad system, the quad one, two, three, and four. And, and, and doing a little math came to realize that, Quads one through three are just the top 100, which leaves another 206 division one programs considered quad four games, which to me is, I don't know, a little bit insulting to say that more than, you know, almost two thirds of all of D1 college softball is not good. Uh, RPI, we can debate how good it is as far as a, a measuring metric when it comes to determining the postseason. I, I'm curious from your standpoint, kind of how you view the way the NCAA sets up the postseason. Do you think it's fine the way it is? Do you, if there's something that you would change, what would that be? Um, I wouldn't change the way they make it happen. Um, I, I, 
I do have a change I'll make. I'll get to that. Um, but look, I, you have to reward teams that go play teams. Mm-hmm. Schedule strength to me is huge. Um, and um, I, I think that that's a big deal. I, I like the first thing I do when I scout an opposing team is I look at their schedule and I count the teams that I would say, okay, regional teams or, or have a chance or, you know, try to schedule good. And it's embarrassing at times to see some of these win totals and then to go back and look who they beat. Okay. Like, I don't think that's, I I just don't subscribe to the fact of buying wins. Um, I think you have to go earn wins. And if you want to play in the postseason, go schedule. If you want to host a regional, go schedule. If you don't say you want all that and then schedule teams in the from 150 down where you have 15 or 20 of the of those games. I get that some of those schools um don't have budgets like ours. Um, but there's a lot of teams that are 100 down that just refuse to go play good teams. You it doesn't to me like winning is not the only thing. It's are you willing to take your team into a tough environment and go play. So I don't really have a problem with the uh, way it's done. Part of the reason I don't have a problem is that I don't want to be on that committee, right? So don't complain unless you're willing to be on that and make change. So I just stay out of it. The one thing I would change is when the super regionals are done, we need to reseed because if some somebody gets upset, that's awesome. But that doesn't make you the number one seed. Like if somebody upset OU, they shouldn't be the number one seed. They should be where, wherever they kind of fall. Um, and, and if it's two or eight, that's what it is. And, um, I think that's the way, uh, we should, we should go about that. But other than that, you know what, if, if people don't like it, get on committees and make change, otherwise shut your mouth and just do what it said. And that's kind of the way I go about it. I'm the same way on rules. Like they want you to be on all these rules things. I'm like, I don't want to be on that, that stuff. I don't, I don't have enough time. Like trying to win games and help our team and, and do, do, do the things here. And so like, I'm good. Just tell me what the rules are and we'll play by those rules. Uh, look, I'm happy to uh, accept the invitation. If someone wants to put me on the committee, I would be happy to help and select the teams for the postseason. I will put my time and money where my mouth is. Uh, not, not a problem. Coach, you have been absolutely fantastic. I, I really do thank you for, for donating your time to us today. You guys have uh, you're on you're at home this weekend. Yeah, uh, if I'm a crap, man, I'm trying to. Sorry, uh, sick kid last night. Uh, you know, after a while, I get a little bit sleep deprived. Um, you guys are home against Iowa State this weekend, which is very exciting. I fully expect to see Oklahoma State hosting a regional this year. I think I just ran out of a way to wrap this, so I'm gonna tell you, thank you so much, Coach. Really do appreciate your time today. I appreciate you guys. What you guys do. You guys are getting great people on here, not not including me, and and um, it's cool to see, and and it's just it's really neat to see how how much um, time and resources um, are being put into this sport. It is it it's captivating. It's um, it's exciting. It's it's addictive. Um, it is just a great game, and I'm lucky to be a part of this, and and I'm thankful that you asked me to to come on here. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. 
My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at VivaLaCatsPod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. The 2023 WNBA Draft has wrapped in the Big 12, while not a strong representation from a number standpoint, mind you. We did have three players go, two from the same team, who will now be on the same team and both coming from Iowa state. It felt like the perfect person to bring on to kind of recap landing spots and how all this stuff works. Cause I get a little bit confused by it. Our good friend, the vibe queen herself, JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. Yes. Hello. Hello. I'm excited to be here. I know you text me the other day asking for a tip on who to bring on for this particular topic. And so of course I had to throw like, a different name at you, but then also say that I would definitely be willing to do it. So, oh, I'm I'm super excited. I love the WNBA season, but it is in fact a a very confusing situation. Like if if you're familiar with the WNBA, with the way the draft works there, with the way rosters work there, uh, throw that out the window as far as the WNBA goes. Like it's it's really a different beast. See, just like you threw another name out before you offered your services, I asked for your advice in picking someone in the hopes that it would just be you in the long run, but didn't want to inconvenience you. I kind of figured, I was like, this feels like a way to give me an out if I don't want to or can't do it myself, so... Uh, you know, we'll just, we did this dance together beautifully and we ended up uh, together at the end. So, uh, three big 12 players going in the draft. Mind you, I tweeted about the WNBA draft, uh, like an idiot beforehand having like going, yeah, I saw Aoka Lee in like two mocks, not realizing those were both 2024 mocks, which why are you doing 2024 WNBA mock drafts before the 23? I'm just like, can we, you, okay, sure. Anywho. Uh, three players heard their names called from the Big 12. Uh, Stephanie Suarez of Iowa State uh, going number four to Washington, but the, her rights have been traded to the Dallas Wings. Uh, in the That was uh, the number four overall pick. And then in the second round from Oklahoma, Maddie Williams going to the Seattle Storm. And then one pick later, Stephanie's teammate, Ashley Jones, of Iowa State, the Iowa State women's basketball record book, uh, going with a number 19 overall pick, seventh pick in the second round to the Dallas Wings as well. Jamie, before we dive into these particular players and their particular landing spots, like I, the WNBA is a small league. It doesn't have a lot of teams. And these rosters are significantly smaller than the men's rosters. Also, reminder everyone, uh, there's no G League for the WNBA. So I, I would be very curious to see some numbers on, on, and this isn't a shot at the WNBA or anything, just like the reality. We know players who get drafted in the NBA draft don't always make it to the NBA. I would be curious to know, like, with all three of these players, because I saw a little bit of conversation about, especially with Suarez and, and Jones about Dallas and how weird that franchise is. Let's move from Michigan to Tulsa to, to Dallas. 
Like, do first question out of the gate, do you feel like all three of these players will end up on the rosters of the teams who drafted them? First off, Stephanie won't play this year. She's she's out for the season. Um, and so that pick is to retain her rights for next year. Um, which we'll we'll get into that in a second. But let's give a quick overview just on what an actual roster would look like for the WNBA. So you've got your your salary cap. It's a hard cap. This year it's set at about 1.4 million. And then you do have to have a minimum of 11 players. You have a maximum of 12. So every team is going to have 11 to 12 players. A lot of times you're erring more on the side of 11. Um, so when you're looking at this league, you're looking at a lot of teams that potentially have maybe one or two spots that they're looking to fill in their training camps. Uh, the, the landing spots for these I'll say two players because we're going to talk about 2023. We'll get into Steph in a second, but for Ashley and for Maddie Williams, uh, they're really not bad at all. When you're looking at their potential for making a team, the very first thing you want to look at is how many guaranteed contracts the team has. For Seattle, they only have five people on guaranteed contracts. And for Dallas, that's the same as well. After that, you have a handful of people that are on unprotected contracts. All that means is that if they end up getting cut from the team, the team doesn't have to pay them the entirety of the contract. And so the guaranteed contracts, you're going to be a lot less likely to cut a player because you're paying the, them either way. You're freeing up a roster spot, but you're not freeing up the cap space. The unprotected contracts, you're freeing up both the cap space and the roster. And so it's, I don't know, it, it's kind of funky because Seattle right now Usually the unprotected contracts that they would have on the books, you think that it's more likely that they would make the roster than some of the others. You can sign people to just a training camp contract, um, and, and that just means that they don't even hit the books unless they make the first cut. So we're getting into the weeds, but bear with me. In Seattle, there's the five guaranteed contracts, and there's only two people that have unprotected contracts. And so those are ones that are more likely to make it into the actual season. After that, you have four people on training camp contracts. So it is really, really wide open there for Maddie Williams to make the roster, especially when you look at the fact that they have some fives, they have... Some players that can play probably the four, probably the two, definitely some point guards, but where they have the most open space is in the three, maybe the two, four positions. So the places where Maddie Williams is most likely to thrive are the places that Seattle most needs help. In addition to that, you look at the other players that were drafted to Seattle. Jordan Horston was their first pick that they had in first round she'll make the team um and that's a little bit tough because she is a fairly similar player to maddie williams she's i think a little bit longer but they could certainly play alongside each other uh and you wouldn't really feel like there's there's wasted opportunity there uh if i'm looking at the players that were drafted i think that jordan horson and maddie williams probably have the best chance of making the roster even though maddie williams was picked after another player for Seattle. So 
Um, it's it's a really good landing spot for her. They're in kind of a, a weird spot right now. They had a lot of their major franchise players leave this past year, so there's a lot of opportunity there. For the Wings, it's also they're also in a weird spot because they have a brand new coaching staff, and there's been a lot of just kind of odd situations and odd decisions in the past few years. We were talking before we started recording about how I mean Dallas is the franchise that picked Charlie Collier number one overall just a couple years ago and she's she's barely played she's still on the roster but she's barely played I frankly was shocked that she wasn't dealt in some kind of trade in the offseason that still could happen she still could get cut she is on an unprotected contract going into training camp so the the contract situation is a little bit different in dallas right now they do still have five protected contracts but then they do have six unprotected contracts on the book so those are players that you think it's generally more likely that they make that final roster but if that were the case they wouldn't be probably signing anyone that they drafted so uh some of those players that are on the unprotected contracts won't make it out of training camp. Um, I know that Dallas is really looking for a shooter and they certainly drafted themselves some options. And so there's a really good chance that Maddie Segrist, Lou Lopez, Seneschal, Abby Myers, Paige Robinson, and then of course, Ashley Jones will be battling for one, maybe two spots on the roster. Um, And so Maddie Segrist is certainly really stiff competition, especially being taken third overall. Um, and then you're you're looking at it as she and Ashley have some really similar strengths. Um, and so then you're you're really just gonna have to battle it out in training camp. So uh it's it's a tough roster to make for sure. Any WNBA team is, but there's opportunity. Um, I would feel, I think, more certain about Maddie Williams making the roster in Seattle than Ashley making the roster in Dallas. But I would anticipate that if Ashley did end up getting cut before the season started, she would find some other potential landing spots because that's when you get into signing people to short-term contracts. That's where you get into uh, just kind of the the revolving door that is the WNBA. So getting cut from a roster isn't the be-all, end-all. Um, but you would certainly prefer to just go into the season there and, and stay there. Okay. Uh, that was a lot to digest. <laughs> it's tough in the WNBA. Like it is. You have 12 teams. You said the max is 12 players. That's 144 at most like players in the WNBA. The NBA has like a hundred or 450 ish. Mm-hmm. You got 30 teams with a max of 15. Like it's, I, I don't want to do math, but I will. 30 times 50 is 450 if, if it went to full roster. So, like, it's just – and again, <clears throat> there's no G League for WNBA. So, there's not like, well, okay, well, you can come down here. Like, you're going overseas. You're going to other leagues. It's it's tough. And it's why every year we see so many players drafted. And you're like, they're going to be awesome. And they just don't stick because there's just no room. Um, then I hate it. I do. Uh, but, I mean, from, from what you say, there's a there's a good chance that we would see all three of these players, obviously with Stephanie taking a year to rehab, mm-hmm. potentially on a roster this time, 2024. Yeah, and that's, especially for Stephanie, I'll, I'll, this one isn't as complex to explain. Uh, Stephanie, you have to feel really good about her making the roster next year in 24. 
because I mean, look, she was the fourth overall pick and then gets traded for Dallas gave up a pick in the 24 draft and a pick in the 25 draft. I believe it was the second round of the 24 and the first round of the 25. I might've had those reversed, but that's a huge deal considering how stacked these upcoming draft classes are. You know, this was a good draft. And then the next two years are going to be unreal because you have a bunch of extremely high level players that could be done next year. Some of them could take a COVID year. So, I mean, you're looking at some of the best draft classes that we've had maybe ever in the WNBA and the wings are saying, yeah, we're giving up two opportunities because that's how strongly we want this player. That's going to be a stash. So, I mean, she's not playing this year. They retain her rights for next year. Um, and, and that really, I think speaks highly to how much they wanted her. You don't do that lightly at all. I'm, I'm guessing that they were hoping she would fall to five, which is where they had their next pick. And then they would have been able to just take her out. Right. Uh, but of course the mystics ended up taking her before then. So I feel really, really good about the commitment that Dallas has to Stephanie. Um, but we obviously won't be able to really see that play out until next year, but I, I certainly look forward to that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's some weird situations to be honest. And then we'll get into or we we can't even get into yet today, but as fans, you'll be able to start seeing here within the next week or two training camp contracts going out to probably some other big 12 players. You know, you'll probably see Taylor Robertson, Caitlin Bickle, you know, some of them getting into those training camps and having the opportunity to then play for a team. They very easily could make a roster if they end up in the exact right situation. Just because you're not drafted doesn't mean that, you know, the dream's over, uh, especially in a league like the WNBA where there just aren't even that many draft picks. It's very dependent upon who needs what. And so you can have players come in that are undrafted and just blow people out of the water in training camp and end up on the roster even over first round picks. So uh, there will certainly be more big 12 players that are competing for spots that potentially will be playing in the WNBA this year. Um, but yeah, it, it just gets crazier every year. Certainly expansion needs to be on the forefront and is on the forefront of the league's mind, but we won't even get into how, how much of a beast that is, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how those training camps go because we're just a couple weeks out from them already. You mentioned Caitlin Bickle of Baylor. Uh, she signed a training camp contract with the Connecticut sun. Okay. Uh, so she will have a, she'll have a shot. Hey, just miss the news and prove myself right so there you go even if i'm not up on everything i, I know what i'm talking about <laughs> jamie as always appreciate your time uh we will uh, keep a close eye on uh, on this as we see uh, who does and doesn't make it and uh, as always uh, when it comes to uh, women's basketball and wnba uh, you'll be our first call sounds good Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. 
Big 12 has been in the news a lot as of late for a variety of reasons. It was trending on Twitter on Wednesday morning, which is always a nice thing to see. Uh, but one of the stories that came out, our good friend Matt Brown of Extra Points put out a newsletter uh, about the Big 12. And so very excited to have the man with the best Zoom background in the business joining us today. Of course, if you're listening to this in podcast form, you can't see it, which is a, I'm really sorry for you. Matt, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, th- thanks for having me. If, if you're just listening to this, the background is a collection of mostly vintage college pennants. Some of these I've purchased, some of them schools have sent to me. Uh, we've got a couple of Big 12 schools back here, but everybody from my alma mater, Ohio State, to St. Thomas and Coastal Carolina and some D3 schools are back there. It's a, it's a fun little collection. It is it is quite the visual. It really is. Uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, Matt, I wanted to bring you on today, and I appreciate you hopping on kind of a late last notice. Um, you put out a, a newsletter uh, from Extra Points on Wednesday. Uh, Extra Points, of course, we have been subscribers to that since the beginning, and you continue to justify every single penny we spent uh, being Thank subscribed you. to the newsletter. Uh, let's say. But you had a conversation with Big 12 Chief Marketing Officer Tyrell Kirkham. Um, that full interview is available on Collegiate Sports Connect if anybody wants to go watch it. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, though, I suggest you do. Kind of talking about some of these, you know, crazy and wild things the Big 12 has been doing as of late. Um, partnering with, um, I'm going to get the name of the brand wrong because it's like something ape, a bathing ape. Ba- yeah, BAP, BAPE. I, I, no, I, and it's, and it, the fact that you are confused about it yeah. makes me feel a little bit better because I remember when I heard about this, I kind of rolled my eyes too. It's, it's a Japanese streetwear company. And for people like us, uh guys in our in our mid-30s early 40s dads not so connected to youth culture it feels like i i i I have no connection to this entity why why does this matter and it was especially kind of funny because and i say this with love i don't would not consider most big 12 towns and schools to be extremely connected with youth culture you could say a lot of things about waco and morgantown and provo Cool and hip are generally not those kinds of things. And what made this with with this interesting, right? So I'm talking to talking to the to the to Tyrell, and he's saying, look, from a financial perspective, the beginning, it's a success. We sold had 100 sell through of our inventory through the with, with with this collaboration, which is great. And we saw individuals that we wouldn't normally reach through Big Twelve marketing efforts connecting and buying these the, 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 these clothes, right? That's great too. You want to reach different people. But the thing that kind of stuck with me the most was how many of the actual athletes were engaging with it. They're taking pictures next to the logo on the football field. They're taking pictures of the stuff at the basketball tournament. They're Instagramming it. They're engaging with it. And what's different about what the Big 12 is doing with a couple of these things compared to the Big 10 or the Pac-12, a lot of other places, is it's not just chasing the most money you possibly can, although that's definitely part of it. It's trying to look at these, whether it's a partnership with a celebrity, a musician, streetwear, anything else as a way of not just telling the conference's story, but engaging with the athletes, not just the people that are buying stuff. Because what you're fundamentally trying to do is rebrand this league as something unique and forward thinking and where the competition is an event. And that is something that can resonate to a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old who might be considering a Big 12 institution versus a ACC institution or a Pac-12 institution. I, mean, I 
Look, when, when Yormark first took over and we got his first appearance at Big 12 Media Days last year, I mean, Big 12 fans have, have lovingly adopted the hashtag younger, hipper, cooler. And at the time, it just sounded like a, a funny old man, white CEO kind of thing to say. Yeah. But it really does feel like with the moves and the efforts that the Big 12 has taken so far, like that is more than just some neat hashtag. It is a mantra for what they are trying to, the brand that they are trying to build and the audience that they are trying to go after and develop uh, as far as the Big 12 goes. Yeah, I, I think a good similarity here, and, and, and this came up during our conversation, is what the Brooklyn Nets had to do when they moved to Brooklyn. You have a, a history an identity and a story when you're playing in New Jersey. And, and the team did have some success in New Jersey, but you're, you're reaching a different, a different group of people. And now you're moving to New York and you are going to try to compete for oxygen and attention against the Knicks and the Knicks, you know, in our last decade have mostly sucked. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty good this year, but they have a ton of history. They have the most famous basketball arena in, in, in the country. They have cachet. And so you have to, you know, come up with a new story, a new reason for a different kind of person to engage with the Nets. And and that's kind of what they did, right? Okay, we're going to be hip. We're going to be extremely Brooklyn. They had to go prove it on the court and they, they had to roll the dice on uh, on some established talent some, some, that worked sometimes, sometimes it didn't. But they, they couldn't just tell the same story that they were before and remain relevant. And I think there's some similarities where the Big 12 is right now because this is the league that's in significant transition. It's a league that can that can say we have elite men's basketball, the best men's basketball, night in and night out. There is not a single bad team in this conference. We have really elite at the top end teams in, in most other sports. What they don't have is a is one a flagship Q score brand, and, and arguably the the biggest brand, the most famous school in this new league might be BYU. And in the short term, they might be the worst team in this league, which you combine baseball, men's basketball, and football. Um, these are not, by and large, national alumni bases. You also don't have a physical presence in most of the largest media markets of population centers in this country. It's not a coastal, not really a coastal league, even though I, I know, you know, UCF exists. And and the, the the big cities where you are, Dallas and Houston, you're arguably not the big brand in those markets. Uh, maybe Dallas, Houston, definitely not. Even though Houston's there, that's that that's A and M and Texas have have larger brand penetration. Or LSU as well. So nationalizing your brand, tying yourself to celebrity culture, to youth culture, to 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 build and tell a story in New York and Los Angeles, like potentially internationally, isn't just part of the story you're trying to tell to uh bring in different uh consumers different recruits different 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 uh different fans it's kind of a necessity given that you've got a lot of schools in in kansas and oklahoma and 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 in and, and, and smaller parts of texas it might work um i i rolled my eyes at this strategy in the beginning and i think it, it, it's not going to work insofar as it's going to make the big 12 more money than the big 10 but in terms of 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 helping shape media coverage in terms of helping you know maybe shift things in a little bit in one direction for recruiting and to and to improve brand awareness and cachet in places where the conference isn't right now this kind of thing can work and you have to be aggressive and try something different when you don't have the built-in advantages that maybe some other leagues have something i don't think the big 12 fans have thought a lot about 
is when you think about you know the the P5 conferences, the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12. The Big 12, for the longest time, has been the least definable, the least easy to kind of peg down as this is who this conference is, this is who this collection team is, this is what kind of unifies them. This is a conference that started as eight teams, brought in a bunch of teams from Texas, then you had teams yeah. leave, you brought in, like, it has been a, a conference in a constant state of flux. And so it's never really been an easy to define Pac-12, academics, academics, West Coast, Big Ten, uh, oh, the, the big brands of Ohio State and Michigan, academics as well, and the SEC, you know, it just means more. But the Big 12 has a an, an opportunity here with the flux that's going on and the shifting conference as it continues to, to change of really trying to find a way of defining who it is and who it wants to be and who it wants to, to go after. You, you made the very good point of like, look, can, I think a lot of the moves that your mark is making isn't going to resonate with older alumni and fans in Manhattan, Kansas and Ames, Iowa and Stillwater, Oklahoma and Lubbock, Texas. But that's okay because you're already there. You're already paying attention. You already care about your team. What this, what your mark is doing is they're trying to find for first time, I think really anybody is create a new definition of who and what the big 12 is from the outside in and change the national and, and, and at that point, I mean, even an international perspective on what is the big 12 and making it easier to define. Yeah. And, and to be fair, that is a difficult balance, right? Because you can't shift so far in the direction of trying to chase 23-year-olds in Brooklyn that you alienate Ames and Lubbock and Stillwater because that's still the core. Like that's that's where your schools are, right? You can't move your campuses to to New York or or, or, or other places to try and uh and, and capitalize on those markets, right? And your median season ticket holder for men's basketball. For most of these schools is a 55 year old white guy, if not a 60 year old white guy. And so and and, and th- you know, this is this is some of the, the frustration that many Big Ten fans have had is we've gone so far in chasing new markets that we have diluted the core Midwestern identity of what this conference is. And so that there, there's a push and a pull there, but you can't afford to not take risks when you're in this particular position. And it's, it's one that, at least in the immediate short term, I think most fans of schools in this league are highly supportive of. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see, like, how do you bring those fans along with you on this plan? So we want to open this up to new fans to that are outside of our circle, but we want to bring you along with it. We want you to kind of see how cool sure. it is. And I think at the end of the day, if as long as the current fans understand how it benefits their team, it may not benefit you specifically, but from a thinking of the the, the greater good over the individual... If it benefits the Big 12 as a whole, that's going to be beneficial in the long run to you and your team while you're still in the conference for as long as you are. Yeah, I I, 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 I broadly agree with that. And I, I also think that based on my conversation there, the league wants to do both. And so I, I think another example, if you go back and think about the Big 12 tournaments, right, and uh, for basketball. And uh, if you are a fan of Iowa State or Kansas or Oklahoma State, you know, some of these people have been going to this event for 15 years, right? Like it's it's a it's a it's a major cultural touchdown for a lot of these fans. You have two different promotions at at this event that we, that we talked about in our conversation. One is you bring in Shaq, you bring in Shaq to do to DJ a set at the Power and Light District to create this other event. You've got 7,500 people there. You're bringing Shaq to the games. He's hanging out in courtside. He's involved. That may or may not resonate to a, a longtime conference fan. It's going to resonate to different people, 
um, you know, Shaq isn't really a big 12 guy. I don't think of Texas when I, when I think of Shaq, I don't think of Kansas city or St. Louis, but he's Shaq, right? That's that, that, that's fine. Fat, you bring in fat Joe for, for some VIPs and maybe that resonates for some people. You also then have a unique food activation at the tournament. Uh, and this is a variation of something I've seen done in other tournaments. It's probably at a higher level here um, than the one I've seen elsewhere, but you have a unique food item that is inspired and tied to each school at the tournament. And you sell these at different places in the T-Mobile Center. So somebody has to go and tour the whole facility. They want to go see everything, right? So like if you are a West Virginia, you know, they want to try the West Virginia item, they have a pepperoni roll, which is a cultural touchstone in West Virginia. If you want to get the TCU thing, I think it's like some loaded tater tots with like purple sour cream. You, you, there's, there's a, like an Oklahoma fry bread, you know, kind of taco as a nod to the Native American population there. There's one for everything. And that also sold out. And it sold out so quickly. And the conference was saying, we, the feedback we got from fans was, are you doing this for baseball? Are you doing this for wrestling? Are you doing this for softball? We love this kind of thing. And that you don't need to be a hip hop head or understand streetwear or know anything about the 95 corridor to appreciate barbecue. And that's something that a lot of people in this conference care about. I, I don't think you can look at your marketing and your sponsorship and your outreach as an either or. I think it has to be an and. And from my conversations, I think that's where the league is trying to go right now, where you can't be so laser focused on trying to reach new people that you forget about who you already have. You want to be able to find ways to talk to both. And I think what you saw at that tournament uh, on paper might have been an example of that. Matt, again, I appreciate your time today. I want to wrap on this. Um, I'm curious your perspective now on, on Brett Yormark and the Big 12 and the efforts it's undergoing versus when Yormark was first announced and we first heard from him at Big 12 Media Days last summer. Um, just kind of where do you where do you stand as far as your feelings about how the direction they're trying to take things now versus then? I would say broadly he's a he's a sales guy and and that's not an insult coming from me uh it's just that like he you know he's his background and a lot of his career has been in promotions and sponsorships and licensing and deal making and sales and if you're going to do that in new york if you're going to do that on the east coast and in the nba you have to grab a megaphone and kind of stand on your head a little bit and and do things that the college sports industry has not had to do you know, I, I saw your mark. I, it might have been in Sports Business Journal. I, I wasn't able to find the exact quote, but I'm I, I, you know, paraphrasing here. Uh, he told a reporter that one of the things that he really appreciated and liked about taking the Big 12 job was that the college sports marketplace isn't as mature as professional sports. And so you can come in and make an impact a little bit faster. You can have more flexibility and, and, and do things differently. Not every one of those strategies is going to work. You know, you're, there's there's a lot of people that came from professional sports that are that are now working and, and senior administrative roles in that league. Um, you are talking to an, uh, a fan base that, that is pretty different from that of the Nets and pretty different from that of, of Rock Nation and, and some of these other places. And I imagine there's going to be some cultural push and pull and, and not everything will work. But I can it, it, I can appreciate swinging for fences and, and, and taking some risks with, with some of these strategies because we know where your ceiling is if you kind of lean back especially given that three years ago, man, we didn't know if this league was going to still exist. Um, it, it's long-term stability. And this is true for most leagues. It's not completely assured. So I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, you know, a couple, where are we? Like a year or, or nine months into everything here. 
I'm not willing to say this guy's a maverick genius deal breaker, deal maker, and not because I think he's a bad guy, just because we need more information. And I remember the Larry Scott profiles nine months into his gig with the Pac-12, where he was doing you know, an outsider from professional sports, doing things differently, and how that looked nine months in, and how that looked four years in, looked very different. I don't know what the future is going to be. Right now, I can appreciate they're doing. Uh, they're being very aggressive in ways that maybe Bowlesby wasn't, and there's good and bad things from that. And I think I can at least understand the long-term vision of what this conference is trying to be. I, I think I'll kind of end on this. Maybe the most interesting sports businessy story to me, and this seems to be a central bet the Big 12 is making, is on this idea that college basketball, both men's and women's, in their eyes, is an underappreciated, undervalued, undercapitalized asset both for television broadcasting, for sponsorship, licensing, ticket sales. There's a lot more with it. You know, men's basketball is not typically seen as a crown jewel asset in a lot of other conferences. And the Big 12 thinks we can grow and make this bigger than what it is. And there's a realignment component to that. There's a scheduling component. There's a marketing component. There's a quality of play component. And nobody else is really making this bet. Honestly, maybe not even the Big East is making this bet. And they stake their whole league on basketball. They just won the championship. So how they try to execute that vision, I think, will be will absolutely be worth paying attention to. And if you're a fan of a basketball-oriented school, I think that's a pretty exciting uh, strategy for your conference to take. Yeah, no, agreed. I, the, the basketball mindset is very interesting. I think it's going to be something we see develop over the next few years. And I'm, as a Big 12 fan, I'm excited to see it. I, yeah. They've got a lot of stuff coming. Uh, your remarks been in, had a number of interviews talking about concert series, the Big 12 venues. Obviously, you've got the, the business summit coming up during the basketball uh, tur- or baseball tournament. Uh, some Big 12 Mexico talk. I have no idea what to, I, I got nothing there. I don't, no, I don't, like, I don't, what? I don't know much about that now, but it sounds like I'll have some phone calls to make. A little bit later after after uh you deal with this big 10 commissioner uh rumored hire <laughs> among, among a couple other big stories here this <laughs> week but yeah that that's that will be on my agenda today matt you are a very busy guy we do appreciate your time uh do me a favor uh, plug it all away every all the incredible work that you do you bet if this kind of thing that interests you you can watch the entire interview it's a little over 20 minutes or read the whole story at extrapointsmb.com We publish four days a week and cover all kinds of off-the-field stories that shape college athletics. In the next couple of days, we've got some stories coming out about potentially spinning the women's basketball tournament uh, into a different um, uh, television package and what that can mean for revenue potential for women's basketball, and as well as what it might do to wrestling, softball, baseball, and other sports. i got some folks on the record. That's coming very soon. I have... uh, a uh, story coming soon based on uh, some some things we found from the university archives about the University of Missouri's for uh, attempts to join the Big Ten in the early 1990s, and maybe some video game news uh, on the licensing music front coming in the next couple of days as well. You'd find it at extrapointsmb.com or me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. There's no better newsletter when it comes to the business of college athletics. Matt, we appreciate your time every time, uh, and we will keep reading. Thank you, sir. You bet. Take care, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.